Hello and welcome to the Challenge Podcast, where we discuss all things public service in Singapore. I'm your host, Douglas O'Loughlin, an organization development consultant and a former public officer. In this episode, we are happy to have with us today a public officer who has a rather unusual job title. He's head of Infuse, an office that champions employee well-being at the Agency for Science, Technology, and Research, or ASTAR. Hiroshi Limel, welcome to our podcast. Thanks for coming over. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you for inviting me. I'm just yeah. so excited to be here. The organization uh, ASTAR has created this thing about wellness. How, how did you get into that? And how did ASTAR, I guess, um, decide to make that a, a, an area to focus on? You're it's really a pioneering in this area. So both for you and for ASTAR. Um, I think there's so many organizations in the public service that are really doing wellness. Um, um, what I can say is for ASTAR at least, um, we, what we've done is um, I think it's quite extraordinary. Um, well, we started about five years ago um, looking at wellness um, for the whole organization. Um, and we, we know that HR has always been the focal um, department that deals with well-being, wellness, employee, um, welfare. Um, but increasingly, we are seeing a lot more complex integration of all these functions by the health and safety department, by the um, organizational development department. And I think moving forward, it's just logical to integrate and merge all this so that everyone can work together in harmony and in a coordinated manner. Um, and it's just, uh, I guess, the right time to look at wellness from an organizational standpoint. And I was very lucky to have um, Mr. Suresh Sachi, who is the um, Deputy Chief Executive of ASTAR. And he was really the sponsor for this entire wellness program. And he just said to me one day, um, Hiro, why don't you go and uh, do something on for staff? You know, it was very um, open. It was very uh, general. You know, it wasn't a specific um, goal or aim that he was looking at. He was just saying, let's just see, start something small and see where it goes. And this just five years ago. Um, so, so that's how we, we started. We planted the seed and now we've seen um, it grow. So it's quite, it's quite, quite exciting what we're doing yeah. in ASTAR. So I don't know where, where to start, but I guess the two programs that I've heard about is Infuse, right? And then the, you have like a COP kind of thing. So maybe talk a little bit about those. So at least raise awareness of what exactly it looks like. Yes. Very good um, question. So COP is Communities of Purpose or Communities of Practice. Um, and it's just an idea of a community with a certain commonality. And you built a community around supporting people with that common interest. Um, so in Infuse, in ASTAR, we started off with a parenting uh, because besides being employees of ASTAR, we are um, mothers, fathers, we're also daughters and sons. And to some of our mainstay staff, they're grandparents. Mm -hmm. And besides 50% of the time, everybody is working, the other 50% of the time is their personal life. Mm -hmm. So to say that it doesn't really matter 
it's kind of um, it's kind of funny. So when we have a parenting community of purpose and have com- uh, parenting talks, um, we help staff who are very busy working to find out more about what's there in the latest in the parenting field. Um, we have a lot of interest in parents, new parents. Um, there is no guidebook on how to be a parent, and there are different styles of parenting. So what we do is we bring in experts in um, the schooling system. We've got a, a counsellor who has been a family um, uh, counsellor for many years, and she shared with us the tribulations of being a parent, and she has five kids. Um, some kids are academically inclined, which are safe hands. You know, you just leave them and they swim. You have those that traditional parents find it problematic. They're not great at studies. They're great at dance, arts, um, something that's um, less academic. Um, and uh, she, she, it took time for her to come to terms with it. And by being vulnerable and open about her own experience being a mother um, for a child who's not academically inclined, it helped the staff say, oh, my kid is not academically inclined. But yet, there is a pathway for them to grow. And it really inspires and encourages the staff to say, I'm not alone in this. I feel supported. And that really is the um, basis of COPs. And, and a question out there about COPs, by the way, before we talk about Infuse, is many, I get asked this question all the time. How do we sustain our, C, uh, our, CEO, our communities of purpose? So, um, and it sounds like you have a few of them, right, based on different groups and parents and grandparents and, I don't know, caregivers, whatever you have. So how do you sustain your communities of purpose? You've hit the nail on the head. A lot of the time we see programs like these start and it fails to sustain itself. And um, you're right to ask this question because when we started our first few programs, we, it was a big bang. One of them is um, sports. We had a futsal um, and we want to focus on one of the most simple health activities, which is exercise. So we encourage people to go and play futsal. We had this competition um, and everybody competed and it's fantastic. Um, but we soon realized that a lot of our scientists and staff, um, they're in their 30s and some of them in their 40s. So you can imagine them quite excited when they join the futsal team, but they like coming out from retirement really because they play like an 18-year-old, but their bodies are not 18-year-old. So it turns out at the end of the fo- each futsal match, we're bandaging and giving first aid to everyone. Um, but at the end of the day, they enjoyed themselves, you know. But because of that um, slight change of um, biological age right. or pace, um, we decided maybe we'll do something a little bit more simpler, less strenuous on the, um, on the population, on the um, employees. Um, so, so finding the right kind of purpose is important to sustain it and speaking to the staff especially at the end of events and asking them what do you find interesting what do you find not interesting and i tell my staff every time we don't look for compliments we look for criticisms because through the criticisms we know what to improve right um finding out which feedback really fits into the 
overall mission of creating COPs, that is what's important to sustain it. Um, and and it's, it's, it's less a skill, but it's more like an art because listening to people, active listening skills are very important here. We pick up on the nuancing because I find in Singapore, people, when they give negative feedback, it's either they boom at you or they say in such a nuanced way, you don't get it. All right. Oh, nice. Um, yeah, that kind of feedback sounds good. And do you have, are there particular, how many are there generally? Or, or maybe I should ask which are the ones that are most sustainable? Mindfulness. Yeah, mindfulness. We have a mindfulness COP. Um, and we do it every Tuesdays. Now we do it in Zoom. Um, we have staff who are trained in mindfulness to um, give or guide people on how to do a mindfulness session. Um, that That's really incredible because we started out not knowing what mindfulness is five years ago. Um, one of the uh, staff were doing one of these active listening sessions. Um, they said, oh, staff feel very stressed and they need some way of clearing their mind. So I asked her, what could we do? And she said, oh, try mindfulness. And I asked her, what's that? And she's like, oh, I think you have to attend the mindfulness session to understand what mindfulness is. So I looked around for um, mindfulness classes and I paid for it myself because I don't want to use the company's money to for me to go and do something that I don't even know what it is. Um, so luckily there's SkillsFuture and I use SkillsFuture to pay for it. Thank you, SSG. Thank you, SSG. Thank you, SSG, indeed. Um, and I loved mindfulness so much. Oh. I did the foundation program, the intermediate program, and then I did like MBCT, MBSR. Yeah. And these are amazing programs um, that are from um, Oxford as yeah. well as Massachusetts. And it's completely secular. Um, when I brought it into ASTAR, um, I know from feedback, people have a lot of questions what mindfulness is. Is it a religious kind of practice? Is it Buddhist? Is it Hindu? You know, and we need to be very sensitive about um, people's sensitivities and also where their development is in understanding mindfulness. So besides active listening, I think sensitivity to sentiments on the ground, it's very, very important. So we keep telling people it's a secular practice. And um, if you want to come, um, try it out for... Um, 30 minutes and um, if you have any questions um, we have a professional mindfulness instructor to, to, to answer your questions and we focus on the physical really because when someone does mindfulness they literally feel the body relax mm. and the mind um, if one is feeling stressed they feel very closed so if you want to work with people and if you're in a bad mood very likely you're not going to say like Oh, I'm like your best pal, you know. You're going to like hide one corner or snap at them. And there's a biological, psychological basis to this. So what mindfulness does, it resets things. It makes you feel you're in a, uh, it's a bit cliche, but in a sea of calm. Yeah. You know, where the sea was very choppy before. You sit there for five minutes, close your eyes, open your eyes, but just not really thinking about anything much. 
and then you just ride the waves of chaos, <laughs> literally, and then you feel so much calmer, and you can focus more. Um, and then we have a lot of regular people that came to the mindfulness sessions, and we just realized that hey. This is a little bit of me, my budgeting coming out. If I hire um, a mindfulness instructor every week to come, it's going to cost me so much. But what's really amazing is if we are able to train our own staff who knows the um, their, their labs and their own people, what they need, what kind of problems they feel, they're able to relate better. And of course, on the budget-wise, um, we can have our own self-sustaining practice. Because at the end of the day, to have a practice, there needs some budget. And if the budget runs out, what's going to happen to the practice? We handhold this community. And if the budget runs out, are we just going to drop it? I feel it's incredibly irresponsible. So to sustain this effort, we need to encourage and groom our local employees who are inspired, who are purpose to do this thing. And when they do it, I and mean, we have about seven mindfulness seven. facilitators, mm. and they are so passionate about mindfulness. And including sharing, yourself. Including myself. But they, they are way better because they are so dedicated to this uh, COP. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So, so, so I'm just, so mindfulness COP, that, yeah, that's, I'm just so proud of them. So, all right, so we talked a bit about the COP part. How about the Infuse? Can you tell us the, the structure and how that all works? Infuse is really like a skunk group, as they call it in um, organizational um, thinking. Um, it's very, it, it's a small team. Um, we um, report directly to the deputy chief executive, um, and he basically gives us broad um, missions to complete. And we then go on the ground and work with amazing people from HR, from organizational development, um, from health and safety, um, as well as um, with IT as w and, and, and other corporate functions. And just telling them our purpose um, on what we want to do, one would think we will meet a lot of resistance and a little bit of query, but amazingly enough, you tell them it's really for the welfare of people like you and me in ASTAR, I can tell you the amount of help that you get is tremendous. Really? Everyone in ASTAR, at the end of the day, love to help each other. This is something that I really learned in Infuse, um, that at the end of the day, people want to help people. And, and, and we should tap on that common love. Yeah. Well, that's a very good tip because um, I do think most people struggle to ask for help right because they see it as weakness and all that but actually yeah you flip it and see like actually people want to help you know um i, I think that sounds like a good thing um do you have specific programs you said it's kind of a skunk works kind of thing is it does it have programs or, or are you giving initiatives to do or anything like that when we started out we started small with just talks workshops and it's really low-hanging fruit I think it's important to curate and make it very specific for the staff in mind. And the value of this is when staff attend these sessions, which have been specially curated, they'll leave feeling so much more productive, so much more educated, so much more informed. And I think it's time well spent.
we've seen an increase in the number of people who have attended our infused talks, you know, um, from a mere five or ten. Now we have a um, hundred sometimes wow. that attends it. And a lot of them are regulars. Now, if I was an event organizer, and if I hold an event, and if I get regulars who come every week, I think we have what we call a church of wellness here. You know, I'm listening to you and looking at you. I know in a podcast, I cannot see you, but like you're, you're, like, you're just like being of light, you know, and all. Um, are you, a, is this a, like a dream job kind of for you? For those people who are internal in A-Star, they said, I love what you do there. It's my dream job. Um, and I feel that this is my dream job. But in reality, one needs to have a thick skin to be in this job. Um, I'm not going to say, oh, it's so difficult. You know, I'm such a great person. But the reality of convincing people, um, an example would be um, the other day, um, I was just saying about um, how we should focus on the mental health of staff when we assess risk. And um, I have someone come up to me and say that, what has mental health to do with risk, work risk? Mm -hmm. And I said, well, we're not living in the industrial age anymore. We're no longer working machines that will cut off limbs. Um, stresses, anxiety, burnout, they're real problems for our staff. And we need to update our risk assessment matrix. Um, well, the person says that, well, you know, we're not that progressive. Um, but I said, well, well, I beg to defer because I hear from management, they are very progressive in the way they look at things. You know, they're very forward-looking. And I speak to people on the ground, um, uh, and, and they have huge dreams of where they want to take, to a, take a star. And I said, um, maybe what we are saying here is a bit of acknowledgement, a bit of that face-saving thing. Like, okay, I understand that you've been doing this for many, many, many years. This is the way that we've been doing things, and it's worked. The important thing is, what's next? I, I think that fear of doing something different holds us back to doing something that is really amazing. Okay. I mean, given all that, do you still, even after five years, still find misperceptions, challenges? I mean, to introduce this idea of wellness and, and all that, are you still, is it still a bit of an upward uphill battle in some sorry I shouldn't use that metaphor now that's not a battle but um, you know trying to get this this kind of work and what you do uh, really part of accepted part of the culture or is it already there um, you use the right word I don't I think it's a Freudian slip and it is a battle um, um, to say that any organization it's so easy to change a culture I mean it's just sheer lies because if one goes there and tries to change a person's mind, whether it's your staff, whether it's a supervisor, it's difficult. And it's not just in A-star. It's not just in the public service. It's in all organizations. Um, but I think that interesting, the, the important thing to note is why is there a resistance to change? Okay. Many people, especially younger officers like me, 
they say, oh, I wish we could be something else. I wish could be something new and bright and shiny. But then we have people who hold us back and say, oh, we shouldn't change this because we've been doing this for so long. In the job that I am in, the question is balance. How much of what we want to be can be achieved realistically in the next year or so? And how much of what have been doing and worked for us can we actually keep? To understand what we can retain, it's constantly um, what I call resistance, because a lot of people says that they're afraid of change. And by addressing that fear, um, I think it gives people the courage to move forward. I mean, in, 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 in counseling or psychology, the important thing when you face difficulties is to acknowledge it. And if, if, if like a, a boss or a, a colleague is resistant to certain new initiatives, I think the important thing for supervisors to say is, I acknowledge it is scary. It is scary to change. And not just say it because they just want to say it, but really feel it and give examples. We're changing our um, um, area of, for example, research, you know, it's, it's painful, it's not easy. And why is it not easy? Why is it painful? If they can drill down to the very detail of why is it painful, the staff will listen, they'll resonate, and they'll feel, you have something in common with me. Then you give them the solutions, like, why don't we change to something new, something different, and give them the examples, like you can do A, B, and C. It's not going to be 180 degrees change, but it's something, let's just try it together. Okay. Hiroshi, I have a question that's on my mind a lot these days and haven't really gotten any satisfactory answers to it, but a lot of people, a lot of leaders asking me as well is, you know, so there's all this talk about, you know, mental health, we need to take care of people, you know, people need to take time off or whatever that is. Um, and at the same time, you know, there's work to be done, deadlines, KPIs, um, and even if you want to be nice to one person and say, yeah, take a few weeks off and, you know, or even no pay leave, whatever. But then it's like, oh, wait a minute. Then their work is going to get put on the other people who are already overloaded. And, and so there's this real polarity of how do we take care of people and nurture them and let them have their time to take care of themselves. And we also have things to do. Uh, have, have you been able to make sense of that, seeing as you're looking at, you know, wellness for the organization? Yes, that's a very good um, question because I think that, that, that dilemma is in people's minds, especially as they go higher up in the management um, scale. Um, I've got two insights to this. Um, the one is mindfulness. I think the trait of being mindful in how one feels about what they're thinking and what they're feeling is important. Um, sometimes um, I see... Um, bosses when they give comments um, to put it in not so many words quite mindlessly they have a certain idea that they want to share but how it's put across for a staff sometimes it feels a lack of empathy and understanding and it's not because the person who's giving the comment um, is unfeeling and cruel it's quite the opposite it's because there's so many things that they need to think about. Sometimes their mind are so bogged up 
with changing from this topic and trying to manage another topic within a second. That they just want to get the thing done and they have the solutions for it. So I would say for officers who feel that, oh, my boss don't know what I do, I don't feel acknowledged, is to really understand, um, is the boss giving this mindlessly? And if he or she is giving it mindlessly, how am I to react? Because at the end of the day, I don't think it's very good on my appraisal if I go to my boss and just criticize him and say, you are unfeeling. Because very likely, I'll be worried the next day that I will get an F right. for my task, you know. I mean, that's, that's reality for any workplace, any workplace. Um, what we can do is be, be mindful that perhaps this person is very busy and also the personal style. Everybody uh, have different personalities and everybody have different roles and different ways of thinking. But I feel that we must all allow each of us to play our roles. So if a boss is very strict and you know you've been working with this person, understand this person is strict and then say, okay, take away from the comments what is it that he or she is trying to say to improve the situation? Remove all that emotional stuff. What is the facts? What is the suggestion? And then take it in. And then be mindful about my own reactions if I'm the staff. To say, am I triggered by something? Am I being over-emotional? Am I being felt um, belittled? Now, all these are really emotions. And they're not really things that we do logically to solve the problem. And okay. I think it makes work living so much more easier if we just take the main context of the suggestion and to focus on it on a work basis. It's easier said than done. The other one is um, patience. Um, in Singapore is such a fast-paced life. Uh, the way we speak, it's like machine gun just shooting off. Um, and, and there's so many things to distract us. And sometimes we just need to slow down and give us the time to look back and really contemplate what, what was said, what was done in a kind of unjudgmental state. Uh, I, I know this term gets thrown around a lot, mental wellness or overall wellness or whatever. So um, can you make some dis How about those three? So you have mental health, mental wellness, and overall wellness, if that's a fair term to use, or just wellness, uh, how, how would you describe those three terms? Uh, yeah, that's, a, that's an interesting, I think a lot of people use it interchangeably, mental health, mental wellness, and even the holistic wellness, yeah. you know. Um, other than going to the spa, one have wellness at home. You know, um, when I talked to people about wellness in A-Star, they said, oh, what kind of spa are you going? Are you going for like a spa retreat somewhere? Oh, yeah. Oh, so that word gets misinterpreted. <laughs> and if you look at jobs, they say wellness officer. And if you look at it, you find it a facial therapist, really, the, the job, wow. you know, uh, or a masseuse. So you're right. Um, there is a very wide, broad interpretation of what wellness is. Um, what I see uh, for mental health, if you look at a scale from, uh, of well-being from uh, minus five to plus five, and in the middle you have zero, 
mental health I see as a scale that runs from the minor spectrum to zero. So we're talking things like people who are depressed, um, OCD, um, have anxieties, um, and they need a little bit more time and support to bring them up to okay. zero, which is where people feel normally. Can I just sneak in on that? So one of the words that's get thrown a lot in the COVID days is languishing. Would you say that fits into that? Because that, I think that's a word that's thrown around a lot. Would you call that on the mental health side? A little bit of a funk or something? Very insightful, yes. So one would be languishing, mm, okay. indeed, when they are having poor mental health. Right. So you're not at your best. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. And then mental wellness? Well, mental wellness, the opposite I would think of languishing is flourishing. So if one is flourishing, one would be normal at a zero scale and being super happy where they go plus one, two, all the way to five, where they are really, really, they feel a sense of purpose, they're glowing and a huge positivity. And I think that's where we are at in Singapore. We've done so much to look after the mental health of people but what are we going to do to support their mental well-being? Mm. How do we bring them from feeling, meh, you know, it's just a normal day, really, to like, wow, I'm just so happy today. Of course, people, in, you know, in Singapore and being Asian would be like, oh, I, this is all very soft and all very touchy-feely. I come from a generation or I mm. come from a family that's a little bit more tough love. But I find from my experience, if you give anyone a compliment, you appreciate them, you thank them, you show your gratitude, 100% of the time, that person will always come back positive. Right. None of the time, they will say, why are you complimenting me, huh? Because actually what you were describing before, that we're, we all can flourish, I guess. I guess that's also wellness. Is that... Uh yeah, so in positive psychology, um, Flourish is actually coined by Martin, Martin Seligman. That's right. So he wrote this book, and it's called Flourish. Um, and it's amazing because um, what he's really championing is how do we make lives better? Mm. So now, what are we going to do to enrich people's lives, to make them happier? And I think if you ask anybody, do you want to be happy, 100% of the time, they'll say yes. So why not do it? Let's flourish. Let's flourish. I mean, some of those key ingredients, right, just to make this practical, right, um, we would all want to flourish, right? I think if I recall, some of them would be like being gratitude, uh, being service, uh, connect to your sense of purpose. Any others that you can think of to, so we can flourish? Um, yeah, let me think. I, I have one tip. Um, and that tip I find very useful for me is when I write emails so I used to write emails, very straightforward. Do I have this, do this, I have this information, and this is it, sign, regards, hero. Now, I write emails in a different way. Whether it's a comment, whether it's sharing information, or whether it's a criticism or a feedback, I always start off thinking, what is it about the person I'm sending to that I can compliment? Mm. And it's not just polite. You know, that is very blasé to say that, oh, I'm just being polite. And honestly, people can see through that politeness to say that you're being um, sarcastic and all that kind of stuff, you know, very negative. And we do not want that. So we look at how do we 
give a compliment. There's always something about the person that you're sending that you can actually thank. And honestly, without that person, I wouldn't be able to do my job. So in a way, there is a reason why I thank people. And um, thank you, Douglas, for um, being here with me and sharing your story. And you're really a great um, um, moderator and host because I really am enjoying my session here. Now, in me, having said that, how do you feel? I feel great. Thanks. And summer, summer. <laughs> but yes, thank you. Actually, I will take that in. Thank you so much. Yeah. You see, what I've done there is that that feeling of gratitude. I've given you gratitude. And what you feel, I can already see if the, the listeners could see it, it's a shift of mindset. Yeah. Your eyes are wider. Your smile yeah. at the corners of your mouth. And that's what we want to see when people read our emails, whether it's a feedback, a negative comment. If they can smile and say, I understand your pains, then they can address it. Let me see what I can do to help you. All right, nice. And actually, even within that comment that you just made, every email, every WhatsApp message is a chance for us to convey gratitude, care, connection, right? Um, so every day we have many, many chances to do that, to help each other flourish. So as we start to wind down, you know, we've talked mostly about you know, what, the, what you do and, and what A-Star does and about the topics of, of uh, wellness. Uh, what about your journey? Because you, you could not be in this job now or over the last few years unless you already had the beingness that could step into this. That would, I don't, I, anyway, that's my belief, whether you like it or not. No, I mean, you know what I mean? You, this is not something that you, anyone can do. Um, as you said, the thick skin, the bright light, the, the passion for this. So what, what is it about your life journey, um, career journey, that's enabled to, be, to step into the space in, in, in such a, what seems like a pretty amazing way? Um, I always make a point to thank the people that, have, um, that I've learned from. Um, in my life, in my journey, I started off in um, Channel News Asia, and then I went into um, public agencies, public relation agencies. Um, so I've always been in communication, and then I went in-house. So in communications, one can say they are complete in their training once they've been to media, PR, and in-house. And I've done all three. Wow, and good job. Each lap, I've always admired and I always learn from mentors. And, you know, when I hear people speak about how great they are, it bores me. But when they say, you know what, I'm actually nothing if it's not because of my mentors. Now, that is something that I want to, like, someone I want to hear from. Because the gratitude is a form of authenticity to know where I am. Any uh, final words of wisdom to everyone or to all our listeners of the podcast? Just be authentic. That's the key thing. Life is too short, really, to sort of like hide and sort of like, you know, pretend to be something else and, and, and just be who, who they are. Be respectful, um, be mindful, and most importantly, be, be yourself. Because it's so dreadful to be someone else or to pretend to be someone else for so many years. And at the end of your life, you just realize that's not who I am. Nice. I think it was Lily Tomlin who said, uh, you might as well be yourself. Everyone else is taken. So That's right. just, just be authentic. Let's be, be ourself and let's flourish. Thanks again, Hiroshi, for being here. Thank you very much. 
Thank you for listening to this podcast. I'm your host, Douglas O'Loughlin. Follow us for new episodes and visit psd.gov.sg slash challenge for more public service stories.